A reading for time had fully come. God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to his sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. Since you are here, God has made you also an heir. A reading from the Gospel of Matthew. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. We thank you, Father, for the way that you adopt us as sons and daughters. God, though we are unworthy to be called sons and daughters of the living God, you have adopted us as such. And we get the, the privilege of walking with you in this life and the hope of eternal life. We pray that um, we'd be over, overwhelmed with joy in this Advent season. Uh, considering the adoption uh, as sons and daughters of the living God. And we pray that many others in our community would, um, would come to know this, would um, recognize the love that you have for them and the sacrifice that you've made on their behalf. And that many would be added to the kingdom of God this season. In Jesus' name. So good morning, everyone. As Alex said, my name is Josh, and I am really excited to be uh, here with you all this morning. Um, so for those of you who maybe are just joining us, this is the second week in our Advent series called Immeasurably More. Um, and, and if you don't know, Advent is just the season when Christians anticipate the coming of Christ, right? So in other words, um, part of this, Advent is looking forward to Christmas, which is awesome because I love Christmas. Um, in fact, my whole family loves Christmas. We, we yearn for Christmas each year. Uh, it, it's our favorite time of the year. Um, growing up, Christmas Eve was always the one night a year I never slept well. Right? So I, I can sleep anytime, anywhere, any night, not a problem, except Christmas Eve. Right? I was always too excited for Christmas Day. I would wake up super early and toss and turn in my bed watching the clock just waiting until that time my parents said I could get up. Uh, my kids are the same way for now and, and for several years, which I guess shouldn't surprise me. Um, in fact, about five years ago, uh, my kids were negotiating with my wife, Autumn, about what time they could get up on Christmas morning. Um, and there was some, some debate going on. So I said, let them get up whenever they want. 
they can get up at four in the morning for all I care. It's Christmas. Of course, I didn't think they would actually do that, right? We had had some late nights and they had been sleeping in, um, so I figured they'd sleep in again. And they don't have an alarm clock in their room, right? So there's no way they could set an alarm. Um, needless to say, I was pretty upset when they woke us up at four in the morning the next day, right? So my bad kids, that's on me. Um, but that's the kind of excitement that we have for Christmas in our family. And that's one of the reasons why I'm so excited to preach one of the Advent sermons this year. So as I was working on this sermon and reflecting on how much I enjoy Christmas, I kept asking myself, why? What is it about Christmas I love so much? So to help answer that question, let me tell you what Christmas was like for me growing up. And I have some pictures here to help you get, you know, in my head a little bit. When I was very young, my mom was single and working a low-paying job. So I didn't get many presents, but she would always decorate the house for Christmas. Then on Christmas Eve, my grandma would come and stay with us. And my grandma played such a huge role in my life when I was young. She, she drew her entire extended family together and made everyone feel loved and welcomed. We would go to a Christmas Eve church service and then drive and see some Christmas lights in some of the nicer neighborhoods in my town. And then I'd wake up Christmas morning, you know, early, and, and there would somehow always be presents under our tree. Later in the day, my whole extended family would gather at my aunt's house. We'd get to play with all my cousins, open some more presents, eat some delicious food. I, I was very close with my cousins, right? I, I really couldn't get enough time together with them. So hanging out all day uh, was a huge treat for me. Uh, we, we'd hang out all afternoon, we'd eat, you know, cookies and pie for dinner, um, hang out late into the night, right, like till like 10 at night, which was a huge deal for, for me growing up. Um, after my mom got married uh, and, and we moved into a slightly larger house, we would take turns hosting the extended family at our, at our house for Christmas. So th there's lots of good things in those memories, but what really stands out to me is the house full of family. That is what I cherish the most. What makes Christmas so special to me is being together in a house overflowing with family, spending time together, being near each other. As Autumn and I started our own family, one of the challenges for us was being away from our extended families during Christmas. We've lived more than 900 miles away from our family for all but two of the past 19 years. So sometimes our family can come visit us, but many times we can't be physically present. We can still send and receive presents. We can still eat good food. We can even call our families. But it was hard to be together in a house full of family when we were living in Alaska or Korea or here on the East Coast. It was even harder when I was in Afghanistan and Autumn and my boys were in Alaska. Those separations, those difficulties in being with family is ultimately what helped me understand what I love about Christmas. It's about being there, being present with my family, with people I love and who love me. So now, when we are able to travel to see family, we cherish those times together with our family. We yearn for the opportunities to be in a house full of family. We yearn to be present, to be there, be part of the family. 
So as I was thinking and praying about what I should preach for this Advent sermon, I kept coming back to this idea of being physically present. I spent a couple of weeks thinking and praying about it, and and perhaps not surprisingly, um, I, I just kept coming back to Matthew 1, where we read about Jesus' birth in this name, Emmanuel, God with us. Last week, we heard this kind of good news, this really great news of how God brings us peace. But, but how? Right? We know in the past, God spoke to his people through the prophets at many times and in various ways. We have read in the past few weeks how God promised his chosen people to bring peace and send a rescuer. Right? In, in Isaiah, for example, we've looked at several times. But how does he do that? Sally Lloyd-Jones puts it this way. God was coming to help his people, just as he promised in the beginning. But how would he come? What would he be like? What would he do? Mountains would have bowed down. Seas would have roared. Trees would have clapped their hands. But the earth held its breath. As silent as snow falling, he came in. And when no one was looking, in the darkness, he came. The God who flung planets into space and kept them whirling around and around. The God who made the universe with just a word. The one who could do anything at all was making himself small and coming down as a baby. Wait, God was sending a baby to rescue the world? Mary and Joseph named him Emmanuel which means God has come to live with us. Because, of course, he had. How incredible is it that God not only revealed himself to us, but became a human and dwelt with us. God stepped into our world and lived with us. So let's read Matthew's account of the birth of Jesus again together and dig a little deeper into this passage. So we're going to read this together, all right? Here we go. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. We're going to spend most of our time uh, this morning focusing on verses 22 and 23. 
and, and this idea of Emmanuel. But before we kind of do a deep dive into those verses, I, I want to point out, point out a few things in general about this passage. Right? I, I don't think um, we, we tend to talk a lot about Joseph, but I really love this, the way in this passage he paints a picture of what Jesus ultimately does for us. Right? So in, in verse 19, we see that Joseph was simultaneously faithful to the law and, and loved people well, loved his, uh, Mary well. In verse 24, we see how Joseph displays humble obedience to God's command. Right? And ultimately, Joseph adopts Jesus into his own family and treats him as his own son, which kind of gives us this great example, or this great hint of how God not only reconciles us to himself and gives us peace, but even adopts us into his own family. I also like the way the Bible uses names sometimes to clue us into what is really going on. So let's take a quick look at the names in this passage. Joseph means God will give. And that's exactly what's going on in this chapter. God is giving us something great. The name Jesus means the Lord saves, right? And ultimately, that's what Jesus came to earth to do. But how does God save? Right. The, the name Emmanuel, God is with us, clues us in. God himself invaded our world to save us. What a gift that is. This name Emmanuel, God with us, is only used here and in Isaiah chapter 7 and 8. Um, so, so let's take a look at Isaiah a little bit. So Isaiah wrote, um, wrote these passages, chapter 7 and 8, uh, during the reign of King Ahaz of Judah. So, so at this time, Israel and Judah had split into two countries. Um, and it was in, in Judah that David's line, the, the promised line for the Messiah, continued to rule. Um, so at the time Isaiah wrote chapter 7 and 8, Israel had made a treaty with the nation of Aram. And, and together, these two countries marched to fight Judah. And, and Isaiah came to King Ahaz of Judah with the word of the Lord that the invading kings will fail. Then Isaiah tells King Ahaz to ask for a sign that this is going to happen. And, and he says, you know, ask for a sign for, from the Lord, even something miraculous. And so we'll pick it up in verse 12. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. What really struck me as I read this was the fact that the king wasn't even looking for a sign from God. While, while Ahaz quotes some scripture and, and kind of plays this off as righteousness, really this is a false piety. It's, ju it's just a smokescreen to discover... to. Dis uh, a smokescreen designed to cover up his lack of faith in the Lord. Ahaz doesn't really have faith. He isn't really looking for God. He's not expecting anything from God. But God gives this amazing promise anyway. Even when God's people were not looking for God's deliverance, not willing to believe his promise, he gave them a sign anyway. But what was the sign? Right? What does it really mean? So if we turn to the next chapter, Isaiah chapter 8, Isaiah kind of continues to explain to God's people 
how God was with them. So we're going to pick this up in the second, second half of verse 8. He will spread his wings out over your entire land, O Emmanuel. You will be broken, O nations. You will be shattered. Pay attention, all you distant lands of the earth. Get ready for battle, and you will be shattered. Get ready for battle, and you will be shattered. Devise your strategy, but it will be thwarted. Issue your orders, but they will not be executed. For God is with us. Isaiah shifts slightly here to describe how God is with his people, how he will rescue them, and how he will bring peace. One commentary puts it this way. Hostile nations like Assyria may attack God's people, but eventually they will be destroyed. For God is with his people, and his ultimate promise is to vindicate them. In addition to being a a reminder of God's presence in the immediate crisis faced by Ahaz and Judah, Emmanuel, whose name we saw echoed in that concluding statement, was a guarantee of the nation's future greatness and fulfillment of God's covenantal promises. Jesus, the Messiah, is the fulfillment of this prophecy by Isaiah. He is the one whom the first Emmanuel foreshadowed. Through the miracle of the incarnation, he is literally God with us. Matthew realized this and applied Isaiah's ancient prophecy of Emmanuel's birth to Jesus. The first Emmanuel was a reminder to the people of God's presence and a guarantee of a greater child to come who would manifest God's presence in an even greater way. The second Emmanuel, Jesus, is God with us in a heightened and infinitely superior sense. This is the incredible thing, that God came into our world himself. Jesus is not just a messenger or a teacher or a prophet. God didn't let us get, you know, a little sneak peek of his back while he covered us like he did with Moses. Instead, God himself comes into our world and reveals himself to us. Colossians 1.15 says, The Son is the image of the invisible God. Let's read together how the author of Hebrews puts it in Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. All right, let's read it together. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being sustaining all things by his powerful word. And he provided purification for sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. This is the real promise of Christmas. When we weren't looking for him, when we weren't expecting him, God stepped into our world, took on flesh, and dwelt among us. God himself experienced everything we experience. God himself stepped into our broken world to mend our relationship with him. Jennifer Slattery writes, Jesus came as the mediator between God and man, 
as our Redeemer, Savior, and Friend. 2,000 years ago, God looked upon our sin-ravished world, saw our hopelessness and all our futile attempts to make ourselves right with him, and he did what we could never do. He came to us. When Christ came to earth, he quite literally became God with us. This is the joy and the hope that I have this Christmas. God is with us. He doesn't just give us a phone call or send us a present. He physically came to us. Matthew begins his gospel with this incredible proclamation that God himself chose to dwell with us. But it's even better. This isn't a once-a-time kind of story. Once upon a time, right? Jesus didn't just come 2,000 years ago and then leave. He's with us now. If we flip to the very end of Matthew, we read Jesus' last words before he ascended into heaven. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says, uh, Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Listen to this. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is good news. God is with us. God is for us. God shows up even when we aren't looking for him. And the news gets even better. Right? What was Isaiah promising Ahaz and the nation of Judah and ultimately all people? He promised a rescuer, right? He promised to restore. He promised to bring peace. Even when God's people didn't trust him, God promised a rescuer. And that is what Jesus is. We, we see this pictured so clearly, or just written so concisely, in Colossians 1, 19 through 22. So we're going to read this one together as well. All right, here we go. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish, and free from accusation. Ultimately, this is the hope of Christmas. We were God's enemies, alienated from him. But Jesus, the Lord saves, came in a physical body. Emmanuel, God with us, was born into our world and lived among us. He lived the perfect life we never could. Not just that, but he died the death we deserve. And he conquered death by rising again to reconcile us to God, to make us holy, to remove all accusation against us. This is good news, guys. And so this morning, we're going to respond to this good news by taking communion together. So if you're on the communion team, if you could walk to the back. Um, and Kel, if you want to come up. So as we take communion together, I have some, some things I want to encourage you with or, or exhort you with or have you think about, right? So there may be um, some people here today who don't know God. 
Maybe you aren't even looking for God. Maybe someone dragged you here this morning and you came just to be polite. And, and I'm really glad you're here. I am. As we take some time to respond with communion, I, I ask you just to look and listen. I invite you to let God show up in your life. I, I'm sure there are followers of Jesus here today who are hurting. Right? Life is hard. And maybe this morning you just don't feel God's presence. I'm glad you guys made it here as well. As we join together in communion, I encourage you, don't isolate yourself. We have people here who would love to pray with you and share that burden with you. So I invite you to let God show up in your life this morning as we collectively remember all Christ has done for us. And, and you know, I'm sure there are people here this morning who are full of joy. Don't hold it in, guys. Rejoice well. As we pass the communion elements, right, share that joy with those around you, especially those who don't have that joy themselves today.